Welcome to the Big Mouth Pharmacist Podcast. I'm Neil. I'm the Big Mouth Pharmacist. I'm a pretty sarcastic, slightly unprofessional healthcare professional, a holistic pharmacist here to talk about everything wellness, weed, and Woodstock. We broadcast from the most famous small town in America, where I hold court as the town's family pharmacist who tries to get people off their medicines and onto a wellness program free of the BS and misinformation of the natural products industry. Hello, hello, hello. I am Dr. Neil Smoller, holistic pharmacist and owner of Woodstock Vitamins. I am having so much fun doing podcasts. We are at episode 20, and I am here with our producer, Dana, doing a very special Q&A episode with me. So you're going to listen to me talk all day today. If you want to learn more about us, go to visit woodstockvitamins.com. We've got a Twitter account for the Big Mouth Pharmacist. It's at Big Mouth RPH. And we've got a little community that we're thinking of getting started on on Facebook. So let's just have you go over there and visit us uh, by searching Big Mouth Pharmacist on the Facebook, as the kids say. So let's just get into it. Today, we're going to talk with Dana, our producer, about what we've seen, what we've uh, been through, all the good and the bad times. And we're going to answer a bunch of your listener questions. Don't forget, submit those at podcast at woodstockvitamins.com. Well, Dana, we're on episode 20. How are we doing? We are killing it. Really? Oh, yeah. You think we're doing well? You are really interesting. Oh, that's so good to hear. I'd <laughs> like to like dislocate my elbow just by patting myself on the back a oh, lot. Yeah, I've done that. Yeah. It's actually now a trick joint. So that really, I appreciate you. That. So you really think we're doing good here or what? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's been so much great information. I've learned a lot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, hopefully we're helping the general public. I agree. I think I really like what it's turned into. I was kind of nervous at the beginning when it was me just blabbling on for a bit (laughs) Um, to switch to the interview format, but then like get comfortable with that really quick. I think that like completely changed the game here. Mm. Uh, It's the easiest content that I produce, but it's like the most valuable, you know, I agree because, you know, just even Dr. Stanley. So I'm going to say Dr. Stanley was my favorite so far, just because I feel like it was so informationally dense and like changed the way I think about stuff. Because, you know, everybody else, it's really great information, but I kind of, you know, already jived with them. So to hear from him to say that, you know, sleep is is overcomplicated and we need to simplify it. And these are actually the, like I've been calling the sleep trinity. You know, mm-hmm. these are the three rules for sleep. And that was just great. So, and he's actually connected me with a, a friend of his that's a melatonin researcher. Oh. She, she won't come on the podcast. She won't come on. She says, I'm not podcast material. I'm not as lively. And I'm like, it's fine. I've got lots of boring people <laughs> on the podcast. And uh, and she, she still won't do it. So I'm just going to, I'm going to create like webinars and blogs from that. But otherwise. Oh, that's cool. So what do I need to fix? What am I doing wrong? And just keep in mind that I'm really, really, really bad with constructive criticism. <laughs> are we putting this to the listeners or are you asking oh, me? No, put it right out. No, uh, yeah, you answer, <laughs> but you're going to tell the listeners and they can listen. Uh, what to fix? Well, you know, you know, I wish you'd be dirtier. Wow. <laughs> so that, I mean, the listeners don't know this. Neil is hilarious. He's got the dirtiest mind, but he keeps it clean because this is a family friendly show. Right. I'm a professional. Exactly. Um. Gosh, I don't know. I think, uh, I don't know if this is like a fix, but just a suggestion, which mm-hmm. we've already kind of discussed behind the scenes, is that I think it's time to get more specific. You've covered a lot of broad topics, and now it's time to get into like each individual supplements, individual procedures, that sort of thing. Right. I've already enthusiastically recommended time and again fecal transplants, which we kind of touched yeah. on with Dr. Hunt. Super exciting to put somebody else's poop in you. I mean, and... what a time to be alive. <laughs> and 
so what I'm reading, it, it sounds like an awesome procedure. It works in very specific situations, um, really severe cases. It, it helps turn around different diseases and, and can have different effects. Uh, the microbiome is something we definitely need to like nail down because I've been like frantically emailing researchers at like Harvard and Duke about the microbiome. And I'm trying to get somebody on that wants to talk to us about that. One of the things that I saw, there was somebody that did a study and said that the colonization of the gut isn't something that takes place overnight. A lot of people selling supplements will tell you that your probiotics will start to work within a couple of weeks and it may help relieve some symptoms, but the recolonization if there is going to be any is going to take months and so like that little pearl i need all of the science behind it and i need to have a conversation with somebody about it yeah that's actually what i've read too because obviously this interests me mm -hmm. and for um sufferers of c diff you have to go back for at least 12 treatments and i think you have to continually go back like each year yeah. after the initial treatment so Do you get to pick whose poop it is you put inside? I don't think so. That would be great if you could have a menu of the different poopers. You know what's so crazy is mm -hmm. I used to live a mile, when I lived in Massachusetts, I was a mile from Open Biome, which is mm. the lab that basically that's filters not so crazy. all the poop. That's not crazy. I think that's a very normal thing to live near labs, so you're okay. A poop it's lab? Not, it, well, a poop lab is very different. It's not like Stranger <laughs> Things. Those kids keep getting abused. I did work at a lab, but not a poop lab. Right. It was an ortho lab. So what uh, I said what my favorite episode has been so far. What's your favorite episode? Well, you know, that sleep one was a good one. Slam. I, I think um, probably the rock doc. I mean, he was interesting, <laughs> <laughs> I gotta yes, say. Yes, and it's completely unrelated to healthcare, but sort of related to healthcare. So yeah, I, I'm, I'll tell him that you said that, I guess. And, <laughs> I would like to make a little band of podcasts and like make our own little network someday that like we can promote cool people like that because he's got a lot to say too, you know? So, mm. but anyway, um, so I figured what we can do for episode 20 is do a little q and I've got a lot of questions that are always asked of me. So I put this out into social media land. I got a bunch of questions uh, back. So I figure you can be like Vanna White. You can serve up uh, these to me and I can, you know, ramble on. Totally. So let's go. Okay, so, I mean, the the broadest of questions, what supplement should I take? Yeah, oh my God. You asked, I said, okay, so what what, what do you guys want to hear me talk about? What supplement should a 50-year-old take? What supplement should a woman take? What supplement should, you know, I give my kids? And, uh, you know, the supplement industry is really good ab about, te I don't know, like convincing us that we need to have a, a, a million supplements. The best supplement you should take is only the one that you need to supplement. You got to be really strategic about this. You don't need, don't feel that pure pressure to just start using supplements just because uh, you think that you need them. So, but again, I, I have that little vital five uh, that I always go to the five nutrients, not supplements, but nutrients that we need more of. Uh, and when we do get these nutrients, there's lots of data to show that they're beneficial in the long run. So um, those being omega-3s, probiotics and the gut health. Calcium, because, you know, most women aren't getting enough. Protein, especially as we age, we don't eat enough dietary proteins. And our plantasaurus friends typically do not eat a lot of uh, protein either. The last one I call micronutrients. So, you know, like you can say multivitamin, but I, I don't believe in multivitamins. Um, not It's not the tooth fairy. I don't think that multivitamins are something that people should be taking for long-term benefit. Unless there is truly a deficiency, that's when you would use a multivitamin. So somebody that absolutely eats no greens should use a well-made green supplement or potentially uh, something like that would give you vitamin K. Because if you're getting absolutely none, you will have health um, you know, problems because of that. But, you know, time and time again, we've 
looked and seen uh, that nobody really has that in this country. Even the worst diets, you're getting plenty of vitamins because even our garbage food is fortified with you know, the minimal necessary things. So so as far as uh, a green supplement, would you say that probably spirulina is the best place to start or? I'd say any of those things are great. So there are different groups of greens. There's the plant greens and then there's the, the, the booger greens. So the, <laughs> the little like creepy crawly critters. Um, so um, algae, spirulina, chlorella, those are the big ones. And then you have all your plants. So broccoli, uh, kale, Swiss chard, all of that stuff. So there's, and there's lots of different green supplements out there. I guess more important to me is that when you're buying a green supplement, know that green supplements are like bootleg garbage most of the time. So you just to, to kind of break it down, if you look at a scoop, like if you just like took the scoop out and kind of separated out where the greens are and where all the inactive ingredients are. It's almost entirely filler, um, most green stuff. If you took a pure green powder or even like a very high concentrated green, it wouldn't be green. It would be like mud brown and gross and wouldn't mix. So they have to put fillers in there. And often what they'll put in is just generic cellulose or kind of like plant garbage instead of something healthy like a, you know, like a, uh, like actual dietary fiber or something like that. So most green supplements that you're getting just from that perspective are very, very dilute. So you're not getting all of the servings that they tell you that you're getting. They say, oh, one scoop will give you seven plant and vegetable servings. And that's, it's not even true. The way that they determine those are with like these weird test tube tests Hmm. about their antioxidant level that isn't real. So, I mean, if you're using a green supplement in any way, just know that even the best ones are going to give you like maybe two or three servings of worth of uh, fruits, but it doesn't replace those things. The other thing to know is that because it's basically dehydrated plants, you don't want to, um, you don't want to get it over processed. I guess that's the easiest way to, to say it. Like if you have to take a nutrient and turn it into a pill, there's a couple different ways to do that. And the, the cheap way to do it is like this hyper-processed thing where they're like grinding the snot out of the the, the stuff and like really breaking the thing apart. And then they're like high heat drying it. So they'll, they'll spray dry it. So they'll actually like spray it out of a high pressure hose and that'll dehydrate it really well. Uh, but it also, it's like cooking broccoli in a wok for five hours yeah, it's broccoli still, but the nutritional value is pretty much gone. So how they process it really matters. And then what ends up inside of those things, heavy metals and plants is a big thing. So they have to be testing for all of that. So if you do decide, hey, I want a green supplement as my you know fifth supplement there to make up the vital five, just make sure you're getting a good one because like that's a huge market or segment of the industry where people are getting ripped off entirely. So one of the other things I wanted to just mention on that subject, I kind of touched on is the idea of like seniors versus teens versus women versus whatever. Um, They want, they, the supplement industry, it's not like a weird conspiracy. I don't have a tinfoil hat. This is literally what they do. They (laughs) they want you to buy seven products for one family. So they market them to all these different um, demographic groups and age groups. And the purpose of it would be to target nutrition, but we don't re- we need human targeted nutrition. The idea of like using um, a senior supplement. Well, what's really different in that? And so sometimes it'll have less iron and then they might add an extra lutein for your eye health or, you know, something like that is typically what they do. But the, the thing is they're not doing either right. They're like, it's just a crappy multivitamin, just, you know, something that's basic except they're charging a lot of money. And then they're putting in herbs or, you know, other special supplements and they're using the wrong forms or using the wrong doses. But again, we, we don't buy supplements based on 
the supplement facts panel, the actual list of what's in there, we buy it on the marketing on the front. And so the senior and the demographic targeted stuff is really just, it, it's just a gimmick. It's just a gimmick and you, and you shouldn't fall for it. So if, if you are looking for like a multivitamin, for example, you would just get a human multivitamin and then you would address age specific concerns with nutrition individually. So get your lutein separate, get the best form of lutein, which I think is Ludamax 2020, if, if you wanted to know, and get the right dose. So that way you don't kind of like mess around and get overcharged for stuff. So that's just a little bit of a side tangent, as they say in the music business. <laughs> what else you got for me? Well, um, folks want to know if topical CBD works. Oh, I love CBD. We've had like multiple conversations about CBD, have we not? Like, it comes up almost every episode. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, it, you're right. It does. So the the whole CBD thing is really nuts to me. I'm going to say, let's go off on a tangent and then come back. So I, we've been vetting, uh, vetting more brands to bring in the store here. We want to have like a little mini CBD dispensary. So we've been asking for quality data. Oh, we post all of our studies online. Just click on the link and you can see the product and you can look at the results. So I click on the link and it says full spectrum CBD tested for all these beautiful things. And I look at the results and literally nothing's tested. They test the CBD levels and they might test the microbes, like any potential bacteria or fungus that could be in there. But they're not testing for their pesticides. They're not testing for heavy metals. They're not even testing to prove that it's actually full spectrum CBD. Hmm. So, but a consumer would, you would probably, I mean, sure, you would look at it and go, oh, man, there's a test and I see numbers and there's a chart and there's that seal of approval in the corner. And what we have to realize is that a test can be anything that we want it to be. A test is just one portion of the whole quality picture. If we say that we want to do CBD correctly, there's lots of things that we need to include in that. So just having a test isn't good enough. We have to have a test that actually tests for all the things that we care about. Oh, for crying out loud. Right? Isn't you it? think you do enough research, you, but yeah. you really have to... It's stupid. Yeah, it's, and so every, like, every angle of it has to be examined. Let's go further aside if I can. I'm trying to like figure out who I am. Like, who am I? You know, like that whole thing. Where do I fit into this wellness piece? Because I've, I've been like really wa looking and watching people that have podcasts that are like in the alternative health space, people that have blogs or Facebook groups or like books, authors, like I've been looking at all these like celebrity alternative people, because I think I could probably be one of those. So where do I fit in? Right. And I don't want to play like it's hmm. crazy land out there. The stuff that's being said. Um, so the real question is, is like, how do we how do we help people get good information, not scare the bejesus out of them? And then and and like, you know, exist in this world, in this alternative or, or wellness space without being crazy, too, you know? Yeah. And I think that's been my like. Like, how the heck do I fit into that? But anyway, so um, so back into this whole thing, um, topical CBD. So this is another trick. Um, I believe we don't have a lot of data to determine if CBD, when it's applied topically, will result in blood levels, let alone into the like the surrounding tissue. So if you think about your skin, so you've got your skin, which we think is like this thin little thing, but it's like a seven layer cake. It's really, really thick. And there's lots of different complicated layers. And then below that, you get into the other tissues. And so to just get through all of that, it's very difficult. But then to get into like the muscle and then into the bloodstream and all, all of this other stuff, we don't know, like, there's not a lot of data to really say whether or not topical CBD will get into the body or help your muscles. So Here's the thing, like these topical CBD products, 
it could just be the fact that you're massaging something with a cool base on your skin that makes you feel better. Um, it, you know, because a lot of people don't do that. A lot of people don't do like proper massage. The other thing that, that goes on with this topical CBD stuff is that they actually throw in bootleg or not bootleg, but they throw in, um, herbal remedies. So they might, it might be topical CBD, but then they'll put menthol in it, which we know works really, really well for like topical arthritis and topical muscle pain. It's called Biofreeze. It's a huge product. Everybody buys it. I love Biofreeze. Right. So imagine a $12 bottle of Biofreeze and then you add a little bit of CBD in it and then I can charge $75 and the CBD isn't doing diddly for you. You know, so the idea is that we want to only use topical CBD where it really, really counts. And in my opinion, I think that's like superficial skin stuff. So people that have like weird rashes or even like eczema or psoriasis, I feel the anti-inflammatory component of CBD might be a better answer there than um, anything else. But again, with topical CBD, I think like it's a it's a really good option compared to using potentially like high dose steroids that can thin out your skin and stuff. So it may be a good thing. It's just expensive. So we have a CBD topical that is uh, you know, again, when you're buying CBD, don't get ripped off. So 10 cents per milligram or less. So if you buy a 500 milligram CBD, you shouldn't be spending more than $50, 500 times 10 cents. So we have those in topical because otherwise I've just been finding that most topical CBDs are, um, like 20, 40, 30, you know, 60 cents per milligram. So, um, so yeah, so I guess to summarize all that kind of rambling is like topical CBD isn't really just topical CBD. It's CBD plus herbs or like other ingredients to make you think that the topical CBD is actually benefiting your muscles and your joints. It's really not most of the time. We don't have enough data to really conclusively say, and people are overpaying for this stuff. So just, you know, if you have some skin stuff, CBD is great. Alrighty. So uh, moving on, folks want to know about what do we got here? Vitamin C and iron. This is a super old thing. This comes up all the time. It actually just came up downstairs too before I came upstairs to do the podcast here. It's a wives' tale that you can use vitamin C and it improves the absorption of iron. Okay. Mm. And it's like this old thing. I remember, I don't know. So I'd have to look it up and kind of put it in an article, I think, just to kind of solidify this. I'm going off the off the cuff here. When I was an intern, before I was licensed, I did a project for somebody because they were using it in the nursing home. Iron in every single elderly woman because she was anemic. And then they would dose her with 500 milligrams of ascorbic acid or vitamin C because that's what the doctor believed worked. When we researched it, in order to change the acidity of the gut to actually improve the absorption of the iron, you needed 12 grams of <laughs> vitamin C or 24 tablets at a time. So I don't know if, if that still holds or if there's some real evidence out there saying that it'll do it. But I think it's a, it's a weird way to accomplish a goal which is to get iron into the body so any mineral like iron is going to be um, attached to something it's not going to exist freely in nature it's always going to be bound to something so typically you'll see ferrous sulfate um, or you know ferrous gluconate those are the most common forms of iron what it's bound to will determine how big of a dose you get at one time and then how easily it gets absorbed and I believe that minerals are best in the chelated form. So they're they're stuck to like amino acids or something else that, yes, it might deliver a lower amount, but all of the literature kind of points that you'll have much better absorption. I just did a piece on magnesium. Actually, we talked about the same topic. 
People use magnesium oxide or magnesium citrate, and they want to get that 400 milligrams of magnesium. Well, your absorption is 6% or less. Like mostly it's like way less, right? So you're getting 20 milligrams of that 400. And, you know, we have a a 225 or 250 milligram magnesium that you're going to get half of. So you're going to get like four to six times the amount of absorption than you would uh, from the other forms. So that's an important thing to know is like if you're trying to take iron, really what or any mineral, just make sure you get a chelated form because I just feel like it's going to be better absorbed. Now, knowing that the supplement industry is what it is, they'll write chelated magnesium on the front because it may have some chelated magnesium or chelated iron in it, but it's like a super duper small amount. So they'll put all the crappy forms. They'll put all the like the inabsorbable forms and then they'll um, put a little bit of the chelate and then they'll be able to market it as a chelated magnesium and you'll, you're none the wiser because, again, we shop off the front, not off the side. Vultures. Vultures. Can you explain what the difference with uh, ester C is? I know it's supposed to be easier to digest or something yeah. like that. Well, it's yeah. So it's like uh, reacted with this compound that makes it more absorbable and it changes the pH. It's, it's, the bottom line is nonsense. It's just stupid <laughs> because vitamin C has minimal absorption anyway. So we're only going to absorb about... 100 to 200 milligrams of vitamin C because that's what we've evolved to because that's the most any of our meals would have. So when you take a 500 milligram vitamin C, whether it's got the special esterified whatever, or or you're going to get a small, small amount of it. Hmm. Vitamin C, I think, is probably the most pervasive uh, scam of the supplement industry. Started I guess with, so. It was one of the first, so that's probably why. We think it's uh, miracle everything and it's going to help out our immune system. Vitamin C rich foods are great for our cardiovascular system and they're super healthy for us. But the idea of mega dosing vitamin C has been disproven time and time and time again. And like every three months, I feel like something new <laughs> comes out about it, but we still keep doing it. So I would, again, eat the vitamin C, Bio, the bioflavonoids, the colorful part of the fruit, all of that stuff is healthy for you. Vitamin C from food is good, but you know, most of us don't, don't even need nearly any of it. So Okay, well then, if we can circle back to the iron and magnesium. Yes. Um, does do those uh, those are minerals? Minerals. Do they lead to constipation? They do lead to constipation. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that you asked. Why do we always talk about poops? So, <laughs> um, so iron can be constipating. Magnesium can cause diarrhea. Um, we actually remember it. Um, fecal is how we remembered it in school. F-E, iron, C-A, calcium, A-L, aluminum. Those are the constipating ones, okay? And magnesium can cause diarrhea. Basically, when they get in the gut, they can, like, slow motility or they can change water and it makes you constipated or uh, uh, make you have diarrhea. So one of the things that I always like to talk about, um, obviously, those are the potential... Besides poop. Besides poop. Those, well, those are the potential <laughs> side effects is like affecting your poop, taking these, these products, whether they're the good forms or not. If you get enough of them, you potentially will have some sort of GI change, potentially. One of the things I always like get on a tear about, and I think the rant this month is going to be <laughs> about this, uh, and we've got every analogy that a third grade boy would want to use about poop ready to <laughs> ready to go um basically natural practitioners treat um constipation like it's the the 70s um so they'll tell people to use magnesium 
products because it's natural and you know it, it'll help you with your diarrhea. But again, if somebody came into our pharmacy and said, "I have constipation," we would obviously want to know what the source is because there's a couple different you know like algorithms. But the, the general bowel protocol that you would use for somebody, magnesium is very low on that list. We wouldn't want to use magnesium because there's much safer things. Magnesium, you know, recurrent use can shift your electrolytes. So if it's present in the in the in the bowels, it's going to bring a bunch of water, but then your electrolytes that you're eating aren't going to get absorbed back because of all the weird stuff that's going on with osmosis and diffusion, if you recall from seventh grade science. So the bottom line being magnesium isn't really the optimal choice for bowel protocols, but that's like what they'll go to first and foremost, uh, because it's natural and they can charge $25 for it, you know, um, whereas a magnesium supplement for, um, for constipation should be about $4 at most, mm. you know, so. So what do you recommend instead? For constipation? If you're taking these minerals. So if you're if you're taking these minerals, I would hope that you didn't have any of these GI side effects. Mm-hmm. And the only way to relieve those GI side effects is to reduce the dose. Okay. Basically, it means that you're getting too much. So um, if somebody wanted okay. to use chelated magnesium and they say, I've got migraines and, you know, Dr. So-and-so said to use blah, 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 magnesium for migraines. Sure, go ahead. But, you know, if you, if you start with diarrhea, then you know you've got too much. So, like, back it off. That's that's kind of like the upper limit. So I think a lot of people wouldn't think in terms of that. They'd probably think that I'm taking something new, so I should ex- expect side effects. So it's good mm-hmm. to know that if you're having that sort of extreme bowel disruption that that is... So, you know, something yeah. to tell your pharmacist about. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the overarching, underlying main thesis hypothesis of what I've got is that holistic medicine doesn't start and stop at supplements. We need to have conversations with trusted, real medical professionals, and we need to not be afraid of, like, the pharmaceutical industry and, like, the established organizations because, yeah, there's corruption, but if we are going to be honest to ourselves and truly consistent – there's corruption in the natural products industry. It's probably more rampant and widespread because they're not kept in check as much. Uh, so I, I just think that you should be talking to your doctor, your pharmacist all the time. And if you have a natural practitioner or a holistic pharmacist, then you take their stuff in with your whole team, You know their advice with your whole team, and just make sure that you're being very cautious uh, with whatever intervention you're, you're doing. Cool. Not really, but it's okay. <laughs> I mean, we're making nerdy things cool. Well, you know, that's like what we do. That is what we do. So um, we've got some questions about cholesterol management, yes. uh, in particular niacin and statins. Yeah, so this is probably the big one in the natural product industry is that statin drugs are the devil. They're the devil. <laughs> we don't want to use statin drugs. They're, they have horrible side effects. They're not very effective. Every horrible thing that could possibly happen from a drug happens with statin drugs. And so, yeah, I would say that they're not the best things, right? Uh, and my my real deep-hearted sentiment is I don't care if you want to hate statins or if you want to use statins or don't want to use them. For me, it doesn't matter. What I want everybody to do is I want everybody to be consistent and be well-informed, right? We want people to know that if you're... 20 and you exercise and you have no heart disease risks and then your cholesterol goes high. Yeah, that's a really, really dumb time to use a statin drug. But if you're overweight and you have a family history and you're 70 and you're clogged up under a scan, 
you're going to need a, something stronger than, you know, a smoothie, you know, you're going to need a little something more in your life. So you may need a medication. So then around that, and uh, this actually go, I'll, I'll uh, circle back to this point around that there are more appropriate medications for some people than others, right? So that's kind of like just the quick and dirty on statins the, about appropriate medications. I'm going to have somebody on the podcast that's actually going to be talking about, um, about that just in, in particular, about the idea that when we pick medicines, how do we pick what's most appropriate um, for that individual person and how it's not just like this rubber stamping, like, you know, we think that the pharmaceutical industry has us just getting high cost, unnecessary drugs, but there is a lot of thought that goes into most of us practitioners and, and how we pick. So that, that'll be a future podcast. But anyway, so, so statin drugs and cholesterol, like that's the, the, you know, the antichrist, that's the one that they're, you know, hissing at when, uh, whenever you mention cholesterol. So they want something else. So the first thing they'll say is I want to use red yeast rice, or I want to use bergamot. And guess what? Both of those are statin drugs. Red yeast rice is actually the first statin drug. Red yeast rice is lovastatin. That was where we developed all of the statin drugs from. Um, so here's the thing. Red yeast rice, bergamot have the same exact activity, the same exact mechanism of action in the body as statin drugs do. And again, red yeast rice is a statin. It is measured in lovastatin activity. Okay, so by just... You know, that's kind of like one of those confirmation bias type things because it's natural. It's better than these dirty drugs, but it's it's the same. So and I want people to know that because here's the thing. You can choose red yeast rice if that's what you want, but there are greater liabilities to it than even those reviled statins. So first, it's a supplement. So unless you're buying it from us, you don't know if the person's a lunatic and is just, you know, checking every little thing. So there might be risk of contamination or not even the right form or the right dose of the thing. The the second thing is, is that it is a statin, but it's not a proven statin. So we, we take those other drugs, if you were to use them, we know that a certain number of people will survive longer. They'll have less heart attacks, less strokes, live longer than people that don't use those therapies. We don't have that data around red yeast rice. And you would have to have it for the every individual product because that's how the, the data works. And it would be nearly impossible to collect that data. So essentially, when you choose red yeast rice over a statin, you're just choosing a, a, a worse statin. You're choosing one that may have lots of liabilities and one that isn't proven to help you while your cholesterol might go down i tell people all the time again it's not like i don't care it's sort of like that what's his face the doc that was on uh, dr danes was on the podcast he's like i don't care he kept yeah. saying that <laughs> yeah so um it's not you know i don't really care about what your cholesterol number is what matters is how does that translate to your actual risk of having heart disease so we want to we care about the numbers. We focus on the numbers, but lowering the numbers is what a lot of lay people or patients will do. They'll say, I want to get these numbers down. But really what we have to remember is what is your risk of heart attack and stroke? And is the therapy that I'm using actually going to help me get to that point? And um, so again, back to the statin red yeast rice thing, the bergamot thing. If you came into my store and said, my doctor says, I have to go on a statin. I have all these risk factors. Which one is best for me? Um, lovastatin wouldn't be on that list. Again, just like that magnesium for constipation, I wouldn't choose lovastatin. That it's it's old. It's it's uh, lots of side effects, potential drug interactions. Doesn't work very long. It, it stinks. Like we wouldn't use it. But now we're making it first choice because it's quote unquote natural. So again, just being consistent about cholesterol. So um, the 
the best thing that we can do over the counter from a cholesterol standpoint um, is just eating things, you know, you know, changing our diet, lowering the amount of uh, carbohydrates, especially simple carbohydrates will lower our cholesterol. Um, from a supplement standpoint, cholesterol support is, is best done with omega-3 supplements uh, at the right dose, because again, we're not getting nearly enough of that. Um, but omega-3 prescriptions um, will lower triglycerides, a very dangerous form of cholesterol. So we know that we can try to kind of mimic that if, if we do that correctly. But then there's a really cool thing. Um, there's like a cholesterol component of plants, like a, a steroid component called beta-cetosterol or phytosterols is, is the main category. Beta-cetosterol is the one. And that's you know, like Cheerios had the claim, oh, we, we lower cholesterol. That's essentially what it was. It was, it was the, the component of that that can help uh, essentially like from the fiber standpoint, remove cholesterol from our, our, our gut and it can lower our cholesterol. And it's only going to shave off like eight to 12%. But that, I always wondered about that because it's still, you know, I mean, cereal is only carbs. That's like yeah. all it is. So I could never understand how something that was only carbohydrates and so processed. So how could it be fibrous? How could that lower? How it lower cholesterol. And it's just because, because it's, of the fiber component of mm. it and like what's in it and stuff like that. So again, it's more complicated that I need to stink and explain here. So, <laughs> uh, but essentially those kinds of compounds will, will help lower cholesterol. They don't do diddly for your risk of heart attacks or stroke. They'll lower your numbers. Um, and you can get about eight to 12%. So, you know, when it comes to managing cholesterol naturally, I wouldn't wait until your cholesterol is out of control. I would be doing that now, day one. I'm 20 years old. I need to do it, you know. Um, if you want to manage it the most naturally, it goes back to my sleep analogy. Um, people want natural treatment for sleep. And when they say that, they really mean just an herb that they can buy, not, okay, I need to go to sleep when I'm tired and I want to try camping for a week because that's the <laughs> most natural way to get our sleep cycles back in order. No, that's too natural, you know? Yeah. So, but again, when it comes to this conversation and a lot of these conversations, all I ask is that we, we apply the same standards and rules that we do. We can say that big pharma is a jerk, but then we have to use those same criteria to measure any other business or entity or expert that's telling us otherwise, you know? Um, so, oh, you know, use this supplement. Well, what are the risks of that? What are the side effects of that? If, again, if I pointed to you and said, this is the statin that you would want to take, and it was lovastatin, the active ingredient red yeast rice, you should think that I'm a moron. You should not trust <laughs> me, right? So, um, but that's the, the ideal choice there. So it's just, for me, it's really consistency. That's, that's what I like to kind of push when we're talking this whole thing. Can we talk about chicks, man? Chicks, man. Menopause. Menopause. What is best for menopause? You know, I used to be like a menopause practitioner and I used to make compounded medications for menopausal women. I would do menopausal uh, consultations. and You just love crying women? I do. Like helping like them? At 25 to 30 years old, that was my my gig. I did that as part of our uh, original pharmacy practice. And, and it, it's because it's such a tough uh, cookie to crack. So menopause, I don't know, like what kind of information could I give you about menopause that would be impactful? Okay, so here's what I would say, that no matter what the therapy is, you still have the same concerns, okay? So you have three, let's put them into three bins because I like the number three. 
One is those prescription horrible things that were like from pregnant horses that were like synthetically modified. Oh my God. You didn't know that? No. Yeah, they would kill the, the foals, the baby horses, oh. to get at the pregnant male uh, mare urine. Premarin uh-huh. is what the name of the big product oh. was. Yeah. And um, so they would synthetically modify compounds to make them look like estrogen or progesterone, but they weren't really 100% mm-hmm. estrogen or progesterone. And so those are like the synthetic bad ones. Everybody, oh, no, we don't want those. And that's true. Like, we don't want those. They they end up accumulating in the wrong places, and they have metabolites that can be harmful and, and active and dangerous. So we don't want those. And then we have another bin, which we call the bioidentical hormones. And this is the way that all hormones should be. Whenever we put a hormone back in our body, we want to make sure that it is the same exact structural chemical entity as what our body would make. Anything else um, can cause problems, just like we know from synthetic female hormones or, or, you know, progesterone and estrogen. We know that that can be a problem. So we want to have just the bioidentical hormones. And and those can exist in a couple different ways. They can come from specialty compounding pharmacies where you, you know, custom the dose and you do transdermal dosing instead of oral dosing and, and all of this fancy stuff. Or they can just be the same old stuff that you can buy at the pharmacy counter that are like fixed doses, estradiol, one milligram, progesterone, 100 milligrams. Those are things that can exist. So bin one is the synthetics, bin two is the bioidentical, and bin three is all the herbal stuff that's out there. Black cohosh and yada, 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 yam. And you know, there's a ton of stuff. The warning, the, the guidance that I give is that no matter what, all of them will change your hormone levels. And based on the best available data that we have, hormones after menopause for more than three to five years will increase your risk of cancer and heart problems. So we have to keep these things to a minimum. So no matter what we do, uh, and again, there's a lot of people that can like argue the minutia and they say, well, in these patients, when we you know, micromanage their hormone levels and we do all this great stuff, they don't have those same risks. And I'm sure that's out there and that exists, but like based on the the population data, we have to be very cautious. And there's not a lot of people that are out there that are that black belt therapy, managing women's hormones for the rest of their lives, right? So most of us, when we would use these these hormones, we should really only be using them for three to five years. So no matter which one you pick. So that's the first kind of like little nugget I could probably give around it. And then the second one that I like to talk about is the idea that, I don't know, menopause is way worse for you than it was for your grandmother. Your grandmother had a different kind of life. She would just like shut her on the day of her last egg and like that was it. And it was over. That was that was her one and only hot flash and then the game was over, right? Uh, I don't know, man. I watched my mom go through menopause your and I'm grandmother. Afraid... <laughs> I know, but I'm saying like that that was only two generations ago. Yeah. My mom was a maniac and I'm afraid for myself. I've got about 10 years left. Right. <laughs> you should be afraid because <laughs> it is a horrible No, it's I think that because of the the stress and the amount uh, of things and and uh, the lifestyle of the modern women, especially modern American women, it's a much more intense process because, bum bum bum. So our the way the reason that you feel bad at during menopause is the quality and the quantity of the eggs have changed. So the amount of hormone that's being secreted is variable. It's not this normal cycle up and down that you're used to for your whole life, right? It's 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 now like this erratic kind of all over the place up and down. Looks like, um, I don't know, like one of those EKG machines, mm-hmm. but like somebody's on speed or something. This is all over the place, right? So the one day happens, your last egg is is used, and then your hormone levels drop to almost nothing because you don't have the primary source of estrogen and progesterone. You only have your secondary sources. So fat cells are one, right? And two is your adrenal glands. So your hormones are produced 
secondarily by your adrenal glands. Now, your adrenal glands, most of us, because of our stress, are all over the place. We're mm-hmm. constantly stressed. We're secreting hormones and, you know, we're getting beat up all the time. But that, like, chaos was hidden by the nice cycle of this huge level of estrogen and progesterone that our ovaries were producing. Not our ovaries, your ovaries, okay? I don't have any ovaries. They're in there. They're just shriveled. <laughs> <laughs> I remember health class from seventh grade. Your ovaries. Um, <laughs> so the amount of estrogen progesterone was so high that the variable amounts of, of uh, sex hormone that was being generated by your adrenal glands was kind of insignificant. But now, once that falls off, now we have, that's the only thing that's there. And we're now back to the chaos. We're back to the ups and downs of estrogen and progesterone, just like we were when we were going through menopause. So I call it extendopause. If you don't get your stress <laughs> under wrap, you will have menopause for a long, long time because it switches from your ovaries to your adrenal glands and you have these variable hormone levels. And normally, I, I'm sure I, I can like reach out there into podcast land of any uh, menopausal women that have been uh, listening. You probably have had a hot flash as I'm explaining this because it gets you a little stressed out. I've During consultations, I wish I had like a little camera and like had a compilation of all the videos explaining <laughs> this to people, watching them have a hot flash as I'm talking to them because they're getting stressed out about the fact that they have to stop being stressed out. Oh, God. <laughs> that and is a tall order. It's really funny. So it's not funny. It's horrible. But the um, again, back to a holistic lifestyle how to live your best life you're 40 start stress management now <laughs> and start to really kind of get in touch with uh, mindfulness and meditation and being able to really manage stress and not be like victim to it we don't plan right in this country we, we just kind of like fly by the seat of our pants and like we're dealing with chaos putting out fires so if you can get into exercise routines and healthy lifestyle choices earlier than when this does come it's going to be you know miserable for a lot of people but it doesn't have to last for years like it normally does so which hormone herb is best there is no answer um i'll you know you pick one and you use it um i will tell you that like we've had success with uh, specific maca products but there is a problem that there are you know 12 or 13 different maca phenotypes you use the wrong one and potentially you could be increasing your testosterone in your body not your estrogen <laughs> progesterone so you have to be careful with that the other thing to know is that this is oprah's fault there's a lot of things that are oprah's <laughs> fault but like she had people believe that if you started on hormone therapy compounded stuff and her and suzanne summers with her little thigh master if you start with you'll feel better within a day you know and this is the stuff that's going on with cbd it works for everybody and you'll feel better instantly we have to temper our expectations. Hormones change over time. In fact, the way that estrogen works, it's not like typical stuff. It actually has to like penetrate all the way into the specific tissues, go deep into each individual cell, into the nucleus, and then change the way that we're expressing proteins. And then those proteins are the things that make the change. So long story short, it takes a while for estrogen therapy to work. If estrogen therapy works right away, you're either like severely deficient or you're giving yourself way too much. And then that means in 90 days, that mega dose is going to hit you wrong too. Mm. So if you take a therapy and you feel better right away, that's normally a good sign that you're getting too much of it it really is better to to say this is a 90-day plan and if after like a month month and a half i'm starting to see some positive signs that's great the other thing i'll tell people with menopause is like i don't know keep track which is weird you know i would take women from 20 hot flashes a day down to four but they were still having four and they were a little bit more intense so i'm a jerk Right. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. So but we went from 20 to four. So you have to really track and be happy with the outcomes that you have. Uh, you're not going to go to zero 
with any therapy, I don't think it's just going to be a, a reduction. So, and again, there's anecdotes. Oh, I did this and it was great, but there, that's out there for everything. So we have to go by what we know, you know, that brings up another kind of natural product, little perturby thing that happens with me where it's like, oh, I heard that this does this, or this person says that it worked or, you know, like horrible stuff where it's like, do this supplement and you'll get rid of your cancer, right? That whole thing. <laughs> and that like, it's, it's crap, but it's like every, it's out there. And I have people come to me all the time for it. I want to take this because that's what it'll do. And it's really hard to explain to lay people, I guess like nine scientifically trained, you know, like I had to take a bunch of uh, biostats classes. So I understand like how statistics work, especially around therapies and like interventions and stuff like this. But like essentially in a big population, like all the people, you know, there's going to be a bunch of different pockets. There's going to be people that do nothing and get better. And there's going to be people that do something and don't get better right? That's how life is, right? That's how it works. So sometimes you can luck out and you can be in the group that does nothing and it gets better. But at that same time, you're also taking some magic supplement and you can make that connection and say, well, I took the supplement and I, I got better. So we have to be just aware of that relationship between causative, this thing actually made the outcome happen or correlative, meaning like they happen at the same time, but I don't know what the relationship is. So like, I have a great chart that I show people the number of murders fell down as people stopped using internet Explorer. <laughs> and so those two things line up really nicely on a chart and obviously they're not related. Well, they could be related. I don't know, but the, um, the murder rates weren't caused by or either, or it's like, if people stop killing each other, we'll choose internet Explorer less and less. I don't know. But like, uh, <laughs> But but that is a great example of like how those two things connect. And, you know, I love to use analogies. So one of the analogies I do around statistics and like these bigger picture kind of things, I don't even know how we got on this topic. But anyway, <laughs> like imagine all the people in the world, how many of them dreamt about their father? That's probably a big number, right? Seven billion people. There's probably a bunch of people that dreamt about their father. How many people dreamt about their father dying? And how many people's fathers actually died that next day? And so it's not like those people dreamt it and then it happened. It's just very, very coincidental. Uh, but when you have such massive people and such random kind of events, we have to remember that, I guess, is the best. Totally. Answer. Yeah. All right. So I hope that answered your question. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it was a, a listener's question. So hopefully it answered yeah, you don't have menopause problems, right? Yeah, not, not yet. Okay, other listeners want to know the difference between cranberry and D-mannose, which is definitely a word I've heard before today. Mm -hmm. This is a common question in the apothecary in Woodstock, New York, about cranberry and D-mannose. So cranberry is what's recommended for urinary tract infections. Whether or not that actually works, I'm not going to comment on, but what I'll tell you is that there are two main components of cranberry and one of them is D-mannose. And so the uh, the other is like PACs. They're like these weird compounds. And they have like antimicrobial activity, I guess. But who knows if they really actually help. The There is some decent data with this stuff for prevention and, and treatment of UTIs. The specifics though about like the products that most people buy versus the dose you need to actually make it work. That's a very big gap. So we have to be careful. But anyway, your question or the listener's question <laughs> was, um, what's the listeners? We love you. He's not being <laughs> derisive. <laughs> the, the difference between cranberry and D manos, it's kind of like, what's the difference between vitamin C and oranges, mm -hmm. right? So vitamin C or in oranges, D manos is the sugar 
It's a sugar that's found in cranberries concentrated. And the thought is, is that sugar feeds the bacteria that live in your urinary tract to keep them healthy. So I'll always tell people, if you do want to supplement with D-mannose for whatever reason, make sure you're taking a good probiotic with it. Because if your probiotics are out of line or your, your, your normal flora is wacky, then uh, it's not going to help much. So. That brings up one of my questions. Okay. I read a study about acidophilus mm-hmm. that said it has actually been proven to lead to weight gain and that other strains of lactobacillus are the ones that lead to weight loss. And acidophilus is the probiotic that is in everything. Yeah. So are we making ourselves fat by eating the wrong lactobacillus strain? We are making ourselves fat by eating the wrong things, not the acidophilus strain. And and that actually kind of brings up a different point. I don't know. Like there's two things here. So first the scientific media and what gets reported based on like, that could have been just some like, college kid fellow that was doing a study and found this result and then they published it and did a press release just so the kid could get you know his accolades or whatever for his you know his phd right that Mm. could literally be what that was and and then the media kind of took and ran with it and it became a clickbait article that's that aside um it brings up another point around this concept of acidophilus and probiotics because we think about them as acidophilus acidophilus is in everything well acidophilus is like saying ford trucks you know, mm-hmm. so there's a lot of different types of Ford trucks, years, makes, models, all all different versions of Ford trucks. So we, there are very specific Ford trucks, and I don't know if Ford is a good truck anymore, but anyway, <laughs> uh, there are very specific versions that can actually be helpful for people, and there are versions that are just not useful at all. So, you know, let's go to a different example, like Honda, you know, so let's pretend bifidobacteria, so lactobacillus is Ford. We'll say bifidobacteria is Honda. So Honda makes lawnmowers. So if I needed to drive somewhere, do I want a Honda lawnmower? I don't. So I want the very specific thing that does a specific uh, duty in my body. So, and I wasn't making a poop, uh, you know, analogy. <laughs> Always there. comes back to poop. Pun. Yeah. So, so the the bigger point here is like, what specific strain of acidophilus are they talking about? Or are they even talking about it and they're just saying all acidophilus, which then that doesn't make any sense because how would you possibly comprehensively measure that? So the more important point here is one, scientific media is crazy. Don't believe anything you read. And two, um, probiotic strains are what matters. So we need to know the specific strain, lactobacillus, acidophilus, LA-14 or, or NAS or whatever the strain is. Um, they have clinical data to show that that they're actually effective. That's what matters. Cool. Good. Good to know. Yeah. So that's enough questions and answers from you, young lady. I'm 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 getting tired of rambling here. This is probably the reason that it's best that I not do the podcast, me talking, because I'm sick of me talking, <laughs> and my head hurts. The webinars once a month are enough. So. So we have some fun stuff coming up. I've been trying to get some, uh, you know, specialists, some different experts. There's some big topics that I still want to kind of cover superficially, um, address some myths and misinformation. So women's health, the menopause thing, that's definitely going to be on the radar. I've got a couple GI experts I'm uh, courting right now. Uh, Fitness is coming up very soon. We're doing fitness for real people, not Instagram influencers. So we're going to talk about that. Um, I have a holistic dentist coming in. And then I also have another dentist who um, is... Uh, I think she's more than a dentist. I think she's a periodontist. Yeah. So anyway, she did research around a lot of the weird stuff in 
dental world, like oil pulling and stuff like that that people do. And so she like did research to determine if it was real or not. So we can have her on to talk about all. I am so curious about that. You have to like you have to swish with coconut oil for like twenty minutes. Twice a day. I mean, you're no, just like, dedicating your life to like oil pulling. two hours. And they're saying like, you know, not to, you know, Not to step on her toes, yeah. yeah. But it's like, you have to do it for like hours a day. And there was really no difference between like motor oil and coconut oil or whatever. <laughs> you know, it's just like any oil would have worked, I guess. I'm I excited know. for that dentist one too, because my oral hygiene means a lot to me. And I'm using a new fancy toothpaste that doesn't have fluoride in it it has something that's like n-ha oh boy and i don't know if i'm noticing a difference yet but i want to ask the dentist about it it's gonna be good because she she's a holistic dentist that's Mm -hmm. her thing so we're gonna you know we're gonna talk about all of this because she's much like me where it's the you know the practice and the science is what we know and what we uh, but we're in tune to what people are looking for uh, and we want to give people the best so you were going to talk about fluoride we're going to talk about charcoal toothpaste and how that's horrible oh it's so bad for apple you apple cider vinegar we're going to talk about all this stuff so yeah, i'm excited to talk totally to her. and i am going to probably be focusing on uh, like a couple more rants coming up we have a, our stress webinar but i want to talk about like one of the concepts that's come up so much is the idea of the distrust of the systems. Like, I don't trust the CDC. Like, a lot of people will tell me that. And they're like, I read on this blog that I should do this thing. And no, I don't believe that the CBDC, what the CDC says. And that, to me, is just mind-blowing. And I want to kind of get to the core of it. So I've actually been asking a lot of our customers, tell me why. Tell me what it is that that's broken for you about that. And I'm going to try to kind of like come up with a little theory and see if we can kind of get in front of that for people because yeah i think organizations are corrupt but i think all of them are you know not just the cdc in fact i would trust a group of lifelong experts that may be part of some weird politicized organization but i would trust the experts before i trusted some random dude that's trying to sell stuff you know but mm. anyway so that's coming up um one of the things i wanted to mention before we left is that all of the pet peeves <laughs> you know, if yeah. you notice, like thematically, everybody's like supplements aren't tested. regulated, regulated. Yeah. yeah, like that's the big thing. Like everybody's saying that. So and that's where a lot of the more traditional people lay. That's where they sit. They say, we can't even talk about it because it's not tested. And that's where I don't want to be. I don't want to be like where we're going to completely discredit this. It exists. It's here. It's in front of us. So we have to talk about it. So that was the one thing that I noticed the most listening back on a bunch of episodes is that it's like, oh, these things are not regulated. So that's my biggest pet peeve about it. Um, And there's no evidence. So I I don't know. I just wanted to kind of put that out there to say, like, I am not trying to push an agenda when people say that. That's literally just their best answers, uh, what they throw out. But if you think about it, most not traditional practitioners are in that mind state, uh, mindset. So, um, so that's it. So thank you. Uh, this has been fun so far. I think this was a good idea doing a podcast. I think that we have a lot to offer. And if you have any ideas, anything that you want to give, uh, to the podcast, uh, I did get a piece of fan mail. Did I tell you that? You didn't. I did. I had some little pharmacy nerd, uh, Adam, uh, was, uh, I know his name and everything because I've got (laughs) only one, but anyway, so he's a fellow pharmacy nerd. He was in school and he's like, dude, it's awesome. Like, <laughs> just keep doing it. We need more of this. And I was like, that's great. I hung it up and I point to it every time the staff gives me. That is so lip. great. Yeah, it's good. And every of course, time they get lippy. <laughs> <laughs> and then like all the other, you know, I have lots of support from our listeners and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I thought that was interesting because I have no idea who this person was. And he's like from across the country. So I thought that was the coolest one. So, um, but, you know, 
like anything, like good nutrition, like getting well, doing this as a habit, like mm-hmm. you have to do it. And sometimes it feels like a drudge, but just doing it um, gets you to the end point. You know, we're at 20. Uh, in short order, we'll be saying we're at our year anniversary of doing this. And that's 50 hours of awesome content for people. So uh, it takes lots of work. And I just appreciate it so much that people actually listen and like what I have to say about this stuff. Um, and yeah, I just hope that we can help everybody be better and get some get some good drive time killed at least, you know? Totally. So, all right. Well, that's it. Thank you so much for listening. And we will talk to you next time on the podcast. Until then, keep learning, keep listening, and be well.